You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to part one of the Wisdom Cricket Force podcast with Matt West. From grassroots to Joe Root supporting cricket communities from the ground up. I'm Yazron and with me is England World Cup winner Ebony Rainford-Brent. You can see this as the sister series to the club cricket podcast we've been doing over the summer. Over the course of the next three weeks we'll be telling the story of the recreational cricketing summer and be delving into exactly what Nat West Cricket Force 2020 will look like. It's been a roller coaster year for club cricket. At times we didn't think we'd get a season in at all. We spent part of the summer working out whether a cricket ball was a vector of disease. There was even a government U-turn on club cricket. It's been quite the journey. Ebony, first of all, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. No worries. Thanks for having me. First up, do you want to explain exactly what NatWest Cricket Force is and your involvement with it? Yeah, so NatWest Cricket Force really is a focal point around the the club um, game and the club community. I think, you know, what we see is at the start of each season, you know, clubs are aware of a lot of jobs that need to be done to keep the health and the community going. So what's what it does is it's kind of invigorates the cricket community to come together on a specific point at the start of the year and you you know I've been involved at many sort of NatWest Cricket Force days where you get together and you're painting the site screen or you know redoing the pavilion or you know all the sort of things that are needed to keep your club ticking so it's a fantastic initiative um, last year alone especially on a World Cup year over 2,000 clubs uh, 2,500 clubs got together and had like a, a real kind of connection around the World Cup as well so it's a really brilliant way to invigorate the club cricket community. Yeah, fantastic. I mean, obviously, it's a bit different this year to how it normally is. And we'll get more into that as the show goes on. Um, over the course of the series, you'll hear voices from Poff Cricket Club on how NatWest Cricket Force has helped them over the years and what they're doing for it this year. Here's Nigel Muirhead, the chairman at Toft, on what Cricket Force has done for Toft in recent years. Uh, we've been um, very uh, engaged with uh, the Cricket Force programme that um, the ECB established a number of years ago with NatWest. I think it's a great initiative. Um, and I would say over probably the last 10 years we've seen a significant increase from you know two or three people turning up to get us ready for the start of the season or closing down at the end of the season to 
significantly increased numbers uh, across senior members, junior members, and also junior parents, which has been fantastic. So, uh, yeah, big, big supporter. And I think the ECB and NatWest in particular have done a great job uh, in driving that forward over the last few years. Mm. So what's what's a typical uh, non-COVID cricket force look like? Uh, how, how do you engage local community? From our perspective, uh, there's typically a weekend in the year that the, uh, the ECB will say this is Cricket Force weekend um, and therefore everything is geared around uh, activities uh, happening on that weekend at your club. Um, clearly, it's then down to the club to drive that forward. Um, from our perspective, we engage with uh, our members um, through various uh, sort of communication channels that we've already got in place. Uh, we have a list of tasks that we want to undertake uh, some, you know, roll on from year to year, as you would expect, you know, boundary ropes, covers, uh, site screens, etc., um, through to other initiatives that may be every other year or what have you. So um, we've developed a list um, and then we allocate those tasks out. Um, you know, generally there's been Cricket Force T-shirts that have arrived ahead of the session. You know, people put those on and you try and make a bit of a morning or a couple of mornings of it, bacon butties, uh, teas, coffees. Uh, and depending on how long it is, you might then even open the bar at lunchtime when you finish. So, um, yeah, it's been great. Um, I remember you saying earlier in the year that it's a great way to engage the local community. Obviously, that's that's great. But what tangible benefits does that give to the club in the long run? Yeah, we were, um, I guess what I would do is just, uh, we were very fortunate this year to be chosen as one of two uh, cricket force clubs across the country. Um, so we uh, applied, I say applied, we, we contacted the ECB just to see if there was things that they could do uh, particularly from our perspective, as we were looking to raise our profile around uh, our new pavilion. Um, and actually then created the opportunity for us to be chosen as a cricket force club, uh, one in the north and one in the south. Um, and pre-COVID, um, there was a huge amount of activity. We were engaged with the ECB, a guy called Martin Jones, who was great. Um, and we had identified three or four specific tasks um, that we wanted to do. So one was... Uh, relaying uh, a path from uh, the car park to the clubhouse. Uh, we were going to do some tree planting. Uh, we were actually going to do some um, eco eco warrior type initiatives um, in terms of you know where we are. Um, I can't remember. It was building an insect hotel, I think it was. So a number of different things. So what we actually did uh, with the support of the ECB and that West uh, was engage with local businesses to see if they could help. Um, and we had probably got about 120 people lined up for the day, which was going to be in March. Um, but unfortunately, that didn't happen uh, as planned. But we are looking to do the same next year. Um, and in fact, as a result of that, the ECB, um, uh, we had some filming at the club last week uh, linked to the A to Z of cricket that the ECB are driving. And uh, they came to us and um, took a number of action shots and pictures which uh, will no doubt be going out on a broader basis in the coming weeks. The Black Lives Matter movement since the death of George Floyd in May this year has received international attention and it was the heart of the Sky Sports coverage when live international cricket returned in July. Ebony, you spoke powerfully and very honestly um, about your own experiences of racism during the first day of Test Cricket this summer. Um, Listeners, if if you've somehow not seen that segment and wholeheartedly recommend looking for that on the Sky Sports website. Ebony, earlier this year, you started the African-Caribbean Engagement Programme with Surrey. Can you explain what that programme is and what it's trying to achieve? Yeah, I think, um, you know, we as a club at Surrey started to look at our community 
and just really ask questions are we reflective of it the honest answer is no you know you look at Lambeth for example and 42 percent of the young people under the age of 19 are black you know and that's like many of our boroughs Croydon Southwark Lewisham but yet still there's zero coming through um you know even though at the top end of the game you might see someone like Joffrey Archer which you know we're so proud of him and what he's doing but we have to be honest that players like him and Chris Jordan um, didn't come through our system. So we knew there's a problem and we decided to reach out. And the first thing we wanted to do is to try and not miss a generation of black cricketers. Um, and so we decided to start with an, an initial bang of an academy. Can we find any talent to who are good enough now, say between the ages of 11 and 18, boys or girls, and give them every opportunity to thrive. And what was really interesting about it is reaching out. We weren't sure because there weren't any, there weren't a huge amount of players at all in our pathways or in our existing traditional clubs. But what we found was a load of talent. 100 kids turned up for trials and we ended up doubling the number of scholarships that we offered because of the amount of talent that's out there. So they're now in training. They're, they're going to be going through a full programme performance program with uh, personal development, nutrition, etc. And then we have a long-term plan to support the local community clubs from the Black British community that are maybe not really getting support at the moment and start to build the infrastructure so we see more players come through. That's really easy. I mean, our office is at the Oval and we saw some of the youngsters involved in the program training the other day and there, there are some serious cricketers uh, part of the program. Um, so in terms of the, the aim of it, is it more to get people who aren't in the game yet to to get into cricket and play cricket for the first time or is it more giving the opportunity to those who are already in the game to get the opportunity to become professional yeah i have to think we have to be honest as well that the, the initial lens is talent you know just a hundred percent so we don't miss a generation can we find the best talent and develop them so that's our first aim and that's what we did with the academy but we do have a longer term plan which i still see as a talent lens because i think we need to make sure that our club game all the way up to our professional game has a talent pathway you know they're established at the moment that you know kids who go to Whitgift school know that they can have an in to the Surrey performance program or you know if you're at Spencer Cricket Club which is a very big club there's a clear pathway what we're aware of is there aren't clearly established pathways that go into communities partly to do with facilities um, partly to do with investment, partly to do with, I think our game's been a bit lazy on this issue um, to reach out. So I say the whole thing is from a talent perspective where if you have the ability, you need to be in the best academy. But equally, we need to be building talent pathways that go from the real grassroots of the game all the way up so talent can come through. When England toured West Indies 30 years ago now, there were five black players mm. in their touring party. Uh, by contrast, across the last decade, there have only been three black England Test cricketers, Michael Carberry, Chris Jordan, Joffrey Archer. And as, as you just said, we've got to be honest, Chris Jordan and Joffrey Archer didn't come through our pathway system. Um, what do you think went wrong in the intervening 30-year period? Being honest, I don't think um, a lot actually went right. So... If we're honest, um, and we have to be really honest, at times like these, no, there's no point sugarcoating it. If we're honest, if you look at the players that did play, so there's times where Middlesex had up to five black players back in the 80s and 90s. Um, there's been two feeders. One is the West Indies. So some of the players who have played in our county game still came over as teenagers back then. 
The other is there was an academy called the Haringey Cricket College, which was run by a guy called Reg Scarlett, who produced a lot of players, Mark Elaine and you know names that we had heard of. So we've had two feeders for black cricket. One college years ago, which when it finished, which was run off its own steam, it wasn't run and integrated with in the game. So there's been one major uh, program which has seen a lot of the talent that we would have known from the 80s and 90s come through. And as soon as that funding died, you know, we didn't see anything else. And then I think we've got the other side where we have to be honest that we've still been, there's a lot of players that came through as teenagers from the West Indies that learnt their trade over there. So I would throw the question back to the game. Have we ever actually reached out? You know, as a club like Surrey, you know, I sit on the board and we had honest conversations. Have we actually rebuilt those links? And we had we hadn't done, we hadn't invested um, and we hadn't asked those questions. And I, I think if we look at the game as a whole, you know, there's a lot. There's a lot of issues of have we actually created talent pathways from other places other than our traditional links, and we mostly haven't done enough mm. ever. Yeah. Typically, what would a what 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 is a hope for a player's progression through the program? Yeah. So how we're seeing this now is another entry route. So if you think of most counties like us, you have county age group boys and girls. So under nines, under elevens, under thirteens. You have all of that. You have an academy, sometimes you have district size. So you have this whole performance engine. We're seeing the ACE Academy as a part of our performance engine. I hope that, and we're trying to encourage and work with other counties to um, look at doing something similar. And it might not just be the black community. I think it. we mostly need a diverse academy to ensure that people from different backgrounds are getting a real look in. I think there's barriers to getting involved. I think there sometimes can be barriers for the community, which need different thinking and cultures around to support um, and then we have to be be aware that unconscious bias definitely exists within our game so I think if we could get to a stage which is our dream is to inspire other counties to have some sort of representational academy that's part of the structure um, then our ace players if they perform well in you know they're playing the Surrey teams at the moment if they perform well, they move straight into the Surrey team. They get supported all the way through. So it's to be seen as part of it rather than sort of something short term um, and they drop out. It's it's actually part of our performance now. That's that's really interesting. Um, Wisden Cricket Monthly is currently featuring a series on cricket's diversity problem. Um, regular listeners to the show will have heard Tahir Hashim talk about an interview he conducted with former Yorkshire player Azim Rafiq recently about his experiences of racism as a player and more broadly a feature on South Asian cricket in Bradford. I spoke to him earlier today where he went into a little bit more depth on the issue. So generally the South Asian community loves their cricket. There's a big South Asian presence in Yorkshire. So why have there been so few players of South Asian heritage play for Yorkshire? Right so um, with this piece obviously we step into step into West Yorkshire, we step into Bradford um, but it's also about first looking at the big picture. Um, in England and Wales, you have a, a third a third of recreational cricketers who are who are South Asian. That's a very large um, proportion considering the South Asian population. Um, but then, yet we still don't see that many um, cricketers at the highest level who are of, of South Asian origin. Um, and so, to look into that question um, for the magazine, I, I, I looked into to the situation in Bradford. Now, Bradford has produced Adil Rashid who, you know, I was quite moved by watching last year when he returned home from the World Cup, almost being mobbed by by the local community there as he, as he returned returned home. Um, and he's he's that success story of, he was he was the kid who, you know, made Yorkshire's first team at 18 um, and, you know, has, has spun his way to a World Cup winner's medal. 
the, the Bradford story is really is really interesting in terms of um, to, to guide me through this piece. I had Lord Patel, who you know, um, who drove the South ECB South Asian Action Plan in, in 2018, um, came to came to Bradford in the, in the early 60s as a as a baby basically, and he and he he tells me the story in terms of in the 60s and 70s. Uh, of the overt racism he experienced and then entering recreational cricket at the time. And you had all these, you had people from India and Pakistan come over in the, come over in the fifties and sixties. Um, and you know, they just didn't have a home in recreational cricket. There was, there was racism. And then at the top level, there was Yorkshire County cricket club, which had, which was unlike any other county in that it had its birthright policy where you had to be born in the county's, uh, borders to play for it. This this persisted until the early nineties. You know, every other county had overseas players, but but Yorkshire didn't. Um, and what you had was this this exclusionary outlook from Yorkshire, which alienated the 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 South Asian presence in in local communities and in, in Bradford and in, in in Yorkshire. Um, and so you had all Asian leagues set up, like the the Kaide Azam League. Um, and so Lord Patel guides me through this piece, and and what we find the current day is. Is Yorkshire trying to Yorkshire and the and ECB have obviously recognised that they need to address the problem of of having more British Asian cricketers. Um, uh, the ECB South Asian Action Plan is doing that. Um, Yorkshire have have pinpointed the the project of Bradford Park Avenue. Um, there's a recognition from ECB that talent has been ignored in in terms of getting talent into the pathway system um part of my piece i talked to tom fletcher who's an academic at leeds beckett university who did a project a few years ago for yorkshire in understanding the the south asian communities and in bradford and and leeds uh and what was a main what was a key issue was you have a lot of informal cricket taking place cricket in parks um and cricket that's just talent that's just ignored by you know people at the highest level and and that's something that i guess is what's being addressed now the the key revelation from my piece was obviously an interview with uh, Azim Rafiq um, now Azim Rafiq um, captain England under 19s he was you know that symbol of a, of a British Asian coming through at Yorkshire you know a club that had been so exclusionary and here was Rafiq born in Pakistan captaining Yorkshire um, captain England under 19s um, Azim has had an incredible career. He was released by Yorkshire, played for them again, was released two years ago. And he spoke to me and was open about the, the racism he's experienced in, in county cricket. And now, obviously, since the my my piece in the magazine was published, my I published an interview with Azim that went on wisdom.com. And uh, there's been further revelations about the, the the level of racism he experienced at Yorkshire and he's and he's called the club institutionally racist. Um, really, really strong states, statements. And what what the the problem, and this is something I included in my piece as well, is that there needs to be an understanding that you can't just hope to produce British Asian players. You have to have British Asian coaches, you know, Asian officials. There has to be that that recognition. And so, so what's the importance of British Asian coaches in particular, for example? So you have an environment that's that's understanding. Azim talks about feeling isolated in that environment. He had no one else that could relate to him, or, or, or you know, someone that he could he could talk to about these kinds of things, and and so this is this is something that that Tom Fletcher talked to me about as well in 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 his research and, and understanding it is that you can get people into the pathway that that would be one obstacle ticked off, but then 
getting through getting them through that pathway there needs to be you know familiar figures there people that understand you know different cultural differences and and this is this is a problem that really needs to be addressed um from what i've seen for the ecb south asian pact action ecb south asian action plan it is something that that is being targeted and there's there's an understanding of that um but obviously with with what's happened with the rafiq story and how we've seen it develop um over the last month or so um you know there's yorkshire county curriculum have been incredibly silent about it um they need to they need to basically get their act together and and really listen to azim understand his experiences and learn from it because this is some of the stuff he said is 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 really shocking um he was almost you know he said he was almost driven to suicide and that is Mm. that's you know it's horrible to to hear Mm. And, and in writing your piece, did you get the sense that, um, at least from a pathway point of view, those pathways uh, are becoming more open for young British Asians in Yorkshire? Well, initially, when I concluded my piece, I was just, I, I was, I was hopeful in a way in that there's there's an understanding that there's a problem and you're recognising the problem. And from what I'd listened to people talk about the Bradford Park Avenue project and had read about it, there was there's hopes that. You know that, that, that something is being done to address it, but you look at the situation now, right now, and it's from from what Azima said. It's my my whole perspective is is gradually shifted as well as as I've finished writing the piece and have read more, and um, I st- I still have hope, um, but there there needs to be an understanding that once you get people into the pathway, that there's still a lot of work to be done. This has been the first part of the Wisdom Cricket Force podcast with Nat West telling the story of the recreational cricketing summer. We'll be back next week looking at the game's reliance and volunteering. If you like the show, share it with a friend or leave us a kind review on the podcast app. Cheers. Podcast Network.